Good morning. Um, good to see you all. Uh, for those of you I do not know, uh, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point. And um, man, this morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series of talks, a series of messages that we've been in. In fact, we are in the sixth week of a seven-week series um, um, that we're calling What to Wear. And uh, in this series, we're looking at what is called the armor of God in the New Testament book of Ephesians, particularly in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, next week, we're going to wrap um, this series. And uh, I don't know about you, but this series has been truly stretching to me, um, calling me to new and um, richer, more, more full places um, in my journey and in my walk um, with the Lord. But um, in this series, uh, we are talking again about the, the armor of God, because whether you felt it when you woke up this morning or not, the reality, as we've seen over the last number of weeks, is that we are all caught up in a spiritual war. We are caught up in a cataclysmic, cosmic battle in which the most diabolical and darkest of spiritual beings are hell-bent on doing whatever they can to derail us, uh, to discourage us, to pull us away from God and the things that God calls us to. Um, and last week, we started to talk about the fact that not only are these spiritual beings um, making every attempt they can to pull us away from God and the things he has for us and the things he calls us to, but these spiritual beings are actually doing what they can to prevent us from running after the people in the world around us who sin and Satan are keeping from fully living everything that God would have for them. We started last week to talk about the fact that this whole spiritual warfare thing isn't just about the enemy coming after us. In fact, it's more about us going after the enemy to play our part in seeing those caught behind enemy lines set free so that they can live fully in what the Lord has for them as well. Now, uh, I am not in any way condoning violence in the story I'm, I'm about to tell you. But again, if this story bothers you, please, please um, email Pastor Matt um, Duell. Um, he'll be happy to chat with you about that. But when I was uh, a kid, um, I had a friend uh, named... We'll call him Benji in case he, he watches these uh, messages uh, on, online. But um, at 11, uh, this kid Benji was, and for lack of a better term, he was a, a chiseled sculpture of muscle and flesh. The kid was massive, um, strong as an ox, and uh, smelled uh, like one um, too. Um, the ironic thing about him was uh, that behind all that muscle was a mouse. He did not have a single aggressive bone in his body. I mean, you would threaten him and he would flinch, stop, guys, stop picking on me, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Sadly for him, kids are cruel. So um, that just made us pick on him more and more relentlessly. And I, I confession is good for the soul. I was notorious at picking on um, this poor um, kid. Just, man, I'm not going to lie. 
Uh, so when I was about uh, 11, I had, at that stage in my life, I had consumed an unhealthy amount of Bruce Lee movies. And um, what, what that did was it led me to honestly start believing like I was Bruce Lee's African twin, like Brownlee or something like that. So uh, in this particular scenario, I can still remember, you know, an occasion when I was kind of practicing all of my Kung Fu uh, moves on Benji. Anyway, long story short, after a lot of like, please stop, don't do that, you know, um, he, he didn't like it. The 48th time um, of asking me. Um, he, um, Benji, he struck me, um, like right on the mouth, really, really, really hard. Now, I wish I could tell you the rest of the details, but I don't remember much after that. Like, uh, I, I would like to remember much, but I don't. I remember maybe about four seconds later, just this, 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 this wave of regret and pulsating rushed to my bottom lip, and it occurred to me I had made a severe, uh, severe mistake uh, in that moment. Needless to say, after Benji hit me one time, I never messed with this kid again, never picked on him. I think I may have actually started um, calling him sir um, from that point on. But um, I feel like I deserve a little bit of credit uh, for playing um, a significant role in helping that kid realize just how strong he was and how hard he could, he could hit. So, anyway, um, the church is Benji. Um, I, I know that's a deep illustration, and you're going to write it in your journal and share it with everybody. But the church is in so many ways like this kid. We have played defense for way too long in this spiritual battle thing. We have played not to lose. For far, we have played to survive. We have played victim. Oh, please, demon, stop picking on me. Because for some reason or another, it has not occurred to us, or we've not believed the fact that in Christ we are massive. And he who is in us is greater and hits harder than he who is in the world. The church has been weak and the church has been scared and we've been picked on by way too many devils. And Jesus says this. Look at what he says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, about the church. He says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, on the statement that I am the Savior, I am the Son of God, Jesus says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not be able to overcome the church. So we started to say last week, we are in a spiritual war, but the reality is we are the primary wagers of that war. It's not so much that the kingdom of darkness is coming after us, it's that the church is going after the kingdom of darkness, carrying the light and love of Jesus Christ. And according to Jesus Christ, the kingdom of hell is not strong enough to stop a church that's moving forward in the mission. So this whole armor of God thing is so profound, not just because it helps us to live fully in the victory that's already ours, but it helps us as we move forward into the darkness to help offer victory to those who are caught behind enemy lines. 
kingdom of hell will have to give ground to the church as we move forward. But if we live like Benji, because either we don't believe something or we're not dressed appropriately, we will constantly be in this retreat and defensive mode. And Jesus says, that is not what I called you to. And so the question becomes, yeah, okay, how? Um, how do we push back the darkness? How do we push over the gates of the kingdom of darkness to bring hope and light to those who are caught behind them? And there's so many different answers, but in this particular um, section of scripture that we want to look at today as we continue um, in the armor of God, Paul says, well, you are going to push back the darkness and you are going to carry hope and you are going to carry light as you wear a helmet and as you carry a sword. If you have a copy of the scripture, meet me there, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, um, we're going to have the, the words up here on the screens for you to be able to follow along. And again, if you don't own a copy of the scriptures, uh, we would love to get a physical copy in your hands. So at the end of the service, please head to the um, connection corner right outside these um, back doors and um, ask for one, and we will get one to you. But as we continue to think um, of being called to move forward, um, into the darkest places to offer light, to bring love and, and freedom and life. Um, Paul focuses on wearing a helmet and carrying a sword. And so we want to look at these two pieces of armor that will help us to effectively wage this mission war um, that brings hope to the hopeless. And um, here's what Paul says in verse 17. Um, very simply, he says... Take the helmet of salvation. By the way, kudos to those. I've seen some of you post um, your attempts at memorizing this section of scripture um, online. Some of you while driving. We don't condone that, but man, we condone uh, memorizing the word of God. So, so thrilled, so encouraged. Um, man, keep going with that. But here, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says, take the helmet of salvation and Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Take the helmet of salvation. Um, again, to kind of transport us into the context in which this would have been written, good for us uh, to get a sense of what would have jumped into the mind of the Ephesian reader when he would have heard um, this term, the idea of the helmet. Um, he would have pictured uh, the piece of armor that obviously was worn on the head of the Roman soldier. It, it looked like an iron mask that covered the entirety of his head and face, leaving enough room for him to see and to breathe and speak, but otherwise would cover the majority um, of his Head, uh, because this this helmet was made of heavy metal, indestructible um, metal. It was designed with a cushioning layer on its inside. Uh, this helmet was designed to deflect what would otherwise be a deadly blow 
to the head when a soldier was in close combat. Um, Designed with the strength that would resist um, an assault that would otherwise be fatal. And so every soldier understood that what would otherwise destroy me is deflected by this piece of armor that I wear on my head. And so as a result, um, the helmet became the piece of armor that would instill an uncharacteristic boldness in the soldier to press forward into the battle. And that obviously makes sense. Because all of a sudden, the soldier started to say, you might swing at me, but you will not be able to hurt me much. So here I come. It would instill uh, a level of courage. So I love that Paul calls this piece of armor the helmet of salvation. Why? Uh, this is so helpful to me, and I trust it will be uh, helpful to you, but if it's only helpful to me, that's helpful still. Why? The helmet of salvation. Because when God saves you, when God forgives you of every sin you have ever committed, when God saves you, when God announces that you are no longer enemies, but you are now friends, when God saves you, when God promises you that beyond the doors of this life awaits a paradise for you in his presence forever and ever and ever, something happens to you that instills in you an uncharacteristic boldness to press into the battle, realizing you may swing at me, but you can't hurt me much because my eternity is secure and it moves me more boldly into the battle. And you start saying, along with the words of Romans chapter 8, look at what it says in verse 38 and 39. You start to say stuff when you realize God has saved you. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angel nor demon, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. When you believe that your salvation has secured your forever situation and your friend status with God, uh-oh, Watch out. We will start to live with a little more holy recklessness. The helmet of salvation, just like the helmet of the Roman Spartan, empties death of its power to threaten. If you continue moving forward in the mission, if you continue helping the lost and helping the broken, I'm going to kill you. 
And the helmet of salvation says, okay, and then what? And then I'm going to transport you into the paradise of the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, so sign me up then. How do you intimidate somebody who is now cushioned from the blow of the scariest thing in the world? The helmet of salvation. That not even death can break through. It makes us radically fearless in carrying the light of Jesus to the darkest places and his love to the most desperate of people. Because we figure what's the worst thing that can happen. But if you're not sure of your salvation, and if you're not sure what happens after you die, then I get it. I get why you'd want to play safe. I get why you'd want to play defense. I get why you might hate risk. I get why you might retreat and live super carefully. But if you believe I am saved, if you believe nothing can snatch me out of my Father's hand, not even my messes, not even my mistakes, if you believe that not even death can separate me from the love of God because all death does is rush orders me into his presence. Then you can say with Paul in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The world is changed by people like that. I wonder if the reason we're not moving forward in mission is because we aren't wearing the helmet of salvation. We aren't confident in a salvation that is bigger than my failure and that turns death into a graduation ceremony. The helmet of salvation. Okay, so how do I take or put on the helmet of salvation? It's simple. Um, putting on the helmet of salvation is learning the practice of declaring, I am saved. It's really simple. It's learning the habit of reminding myself, I am so saved right now. That's simple. I love what Paul says to the Ephesians when he's trying to build into them what is true about them because of what Jesus did on the cross. Look at what he says in verse um, 13 and 14 of chapter 1. He says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14. And the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing. No change, no take backs. Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I love that. Guaranteeing because I believed in Jesus Christ my eternal inheritance. I am so saved. Right now. 
In fact, I would encourage you to try it. I mean, say it. You can say it in a hushed tone, uh, but I'd like for you to try and verbalize it. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, I would love for you to make the declaration, whether you want to say it in a hushed tone or say it out loud, I am saved. saved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a practice you want to get better and better and better at. Wake up in the morning, look yourself in the mirror, and just look how saved you are right now. You are so saved. You are so set for life and beyond because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you might fear, you are so saved right now. It is learning to make that declaration on a daily basis, a declaration that's guaranteed. Not even you can mess that up. And I'm sorry if that messes with your theology. You may slip and you may fall and and it will be easy to forget. I am so saved right now, still. Not because of your perfect behavior, but because of Jesus' perfect sacrifice. I am so saved. And so if your messes make you forget, um, you, you are going to find yourself retreating and you're going to wonder why am I not advancing in the battle and carrying life and, and life? Because you start to think, oh my goodness, I made such a mess. What right do I have to carry hope to those who are caught behind enemy lines? And it's going to cause us to retreat and the enemy is just going to be like, yes. And Paul would say, put on the helmet of salvation. It will give you an uncharacteristic boldness to keep moving forward. Not life, not death, not even your messes can separate you from the love of Jesus. And as you remind yourself of that truth, and as you don that indestructible helmet called salvation, that cannot be broken even by death, you start to find yourself moving a little more boldly. That is what I always marveled at when I read the stories of the New Testament saints. I'm like, how did they, they weren't scared of death. They were so saved right now. And it gave them boldness to move forward. You might swing, but you can't ultimately me. And so just as this boldness starts to rise on account of the helmet of salvation, just as you start to get fired up about pushing back the darkness and bringing light to those caught in it, Paul tells us how, how to actually start to carry this life and carry this light and help bring freedom and help bring fullness to those who are living in darkness and in chains. And he says in the next section of the verse, take up the sword of the spirit. Put on the helmet. It's going to give you a crazy boldness. And then take up the sword and go do battle. Take up the sword of the spirit. Uh, The Ephesians, uh, when they heard the word sword, would have pictured in their minds um, a double-edged, short, um, and sharp sword. It wasn't too much bigger than a butcher's knife. It wasn't 
wasn't really that big, and that was intentional uh, because its sleekness and size allowed for maneuverability and control um, so that the soldier could carry out, he could exact devastating damage on the enemy in hand-to-hand combat. That's what the sword was for. And it was designed so that he could just do some serious um, destructive work in close combat. And so he was able to maneuver it and control it pretty, um, pretty easily. Um, so the sword, needless to say, was by far the most devastating weapon in the soldier's arsenal. Um, to be on the receiving end of this instrument was to be undone. But you did not want to be on the receiving end of the sword in all of its destructiveness. And then Paul says, take up the sword of the spirit. Um, And the Ephesian readers would have understood Paul's vicious insinuation by calling it the sword of the spirit. They would have understood that God has placed an instrument in your spiritual arsenal that has the power to do the most devastating damage to the kingdom of darkness. And it's called the sword of the spirit. You do not want to be on the receiving end of the sword of the spirit. And by the way, I love that it's called the sword of the spirit. It's not called the spear of the spirit. It's not called the arrow of the spirit because this is for hand-to-hand combat. This isn't for the church person who wants to hang out on the fringes critiquing the church and how it's doing battle. That's where you might need a spear. This isn't for the person on the outskirts retreating in fear. Then you might need an arrow so you can throw things every now and then. But the sword of the spirit implies you have an uncharacteristic boldness that will naturally be brought about by the helmet of salvation and you are in hand-to-hand combat, taking light and taking life into the darkest of places. The sword of the spirit. And you know your eternity is super situated. And you start to say yes to moving forward into the places where the lonely and the lost live. The places where Satan's resistance will get a little bit more intense. You will need a sword. And in case there's any question what the sword of the spirit is, Paul tells us. And we'll put this back up here on the screen in a second. But the sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. The word of God. Look again at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, which would just make you crazy and fearless. And then take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God. The single most destructive weapon in bringing down the work of darkness in the world is what? The word of God. The single most disruptive instrument in tearing down the gates that are keeping people from living life fully in God is the word of God. 
The weapon with the power to expose sin and open the way to forgiveness and freedom is the word of God. The power to lacerate hopelessness and introduce hope is the word of God. The power to restore broken families. The power to break the chains of addiction is the word. You do not want to be on the receiving end of the word of God if you were opposed to him. The power to destroy the patterns and the systems that create and sustain poverty The word of God, the power to destroy whatever sin and Satan are establishing to keep people from fullness in the person of Jesus Christ. The word of God shaped and sharpened in heaven itself and then handed to the church. And Paul is saying, as you grow in boldness, and you start to step into battle, you will need to pick up a blade called the word of God. Okay, let's assume we're in. Let's assume we want our lives to be spent running the errand God has called us to, doing battle on behalf of those who are caught behind enemy lines. Let's assume that we want to play our part in pushing back the empire of darkness and tearing down the gates that keep people in prison. Let's assume we we, we want to do that and we understand that we ought to take up the word of God. What does that mean? What does it look like to take up the word of God? What does that mean? To try and answer that, I, I I think it would be important for us to take a quick grammatical detour because um, words matter. Um, When you see uh, the word word in the New Testament, it is typically translating one of two Greek words. Um... It's likely either translating the Greek word logos. Um, In fact, say that out loud so you can tell people I speak Greek. Logos. Or it's translating the Greek word rhema. Let's try that one. Yeah, that's funner to say. That's funner to say. It's either translating the Greek word logos or it's translating the Greek word Rhema. Now, logos and rhema both mean word, but they mean word differently. This is going to make sense here in a, a little bit. Um, now, there are a number of ways to describe the differences between logos and rhema. Uh, but here, here are some simple ways to just kind of help us uh, start to get a handle on this. Uh, when the Bible uses the word logos, it's speaking about static words. Um, it's speaking about information. It's speaking about truth that's written on a page. Um, I can see it. Uh, I, I can obviously interact with it. Um, but it's static. It's information. Words written on a page. 
When the Bible speaks of rhema, it's speaking about dynamic words. It's speaking about information that's applied, application. And it's speaking about truth that is spoken into a situation. Logos is static. Rhema is dynamic. Logos is information. Rhema is the application of that information. Logos is truth written on a page, but Rhema is truth that is spoken into a particular situation. Okay. The Logos of God might inform me that he is the God of all comfort. Those words are true. But rhema is when the Spirit of God speaks that Logos to life in my situation in a way that allows me to experience comfort in my world. Rhema is why we would pray for Myra and why we would pray for Rachel and why we would pray for Becca and why we would pray for Kristen and Joanna in the loss of their grandfather. We would say, hey, listen, God, we believe and we read that your word says you're the God of comfort. But we pray, Spirit, would you rhema that word, word into their situation so that they can actually experience your comfort. Logos, and then rhema. It seems like a small but yet highly significant distinction, particularly in our conversation. His logos might inform me that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But spirit, would you please rhema that information into bold courage? that I can use at school tomorrow. So listen, by the way, you can have a bunch of logos. I can have as much logos information as I want, but if it never rhymes into my life, my world will remain static. And I will wonder why. So rhema is when the logos of God is spoken dynamically into a situation. When Paul says you have a spiritual weapon of mass destruction called the word of God that will do damage to the kingdom of darkness, he is using the word rhema. The sword of the spirit is the word of God dynamically spoken into particular situations. And you see why that matters here in a second as we wrap. And so if we are going to bring light, and if we're going to bring life, and if we're going to bring love, and if we're going to bring freedom into the darkness, we will need to take up the rhema of God. So, if doing damage to the kingdom of darkness means taking up the rhema of God, what does that look like? Simple. Speak his words. Speak his 
words. Taking up the sword of the Spirit is not so much about the written word of God as much as it is about the spoken word of God. And it is about the spoken word of God through the lips of the people who are taking it up. That's you. That's me. For me to take up the word of God means I speak the word of God. Means I dynamically speak what God says to that situation. What has God said about that? And then I speak that word into that place, into that darkness, into that devastation, into that loneliness, into that circumstance. Well, what circumstance? Whatever circumstance or situation in which darkness and despair seems to be winning, in which the gates of hell seem to have a stronghold, Paul would say, swing that word. Speak what God says about that thing or about that situation or about that person. Saying what God says about racism. Saying what God says about poverty. Speaking what God says about addiction. Saying what God says about unforgiveness or gossip or homosexuality, or whatever the situation might be. This is something that, honestly, I am coming to fresh terms with. Because I always thought that the focus of Paul here is that we would somehow read the word of God and know the word of God. The emphasis on the sword of the spirit is not so much about reading the word of God, it's about speaking the word of God. And think about how that works in battle. What you know about the word of God and what's written on a page regarding the word of God does nothing in the world around us until we speak it. Until you say what God says to that situation, it's just static words on a page. They are true and they are life-changing, but in order for the logos of God's word to get Ramad into that situation, the church needs to take up the sword and speak it. Say it. What does God say about that situation? The Bible sitting on your coffee table is actually not as useful as you might think. Not in the darkness. Not in the world around us. No darkness is pushed back. No freedom is announced to captives. Until the church, Ramos, speaks the word of God. God says that's sin. Say it. God says he will forgive any sin. Speak it. God says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Speak. For far too long we've thought the word of God and we've known the word of God. And Paul is saying your county will be changed when you start to say it. Oh, no, the people at work would just read the word of God in my life. Nope. 
If you're not saying it, you're not slicing much of the darkness. Now, again, your presence is light, and your gestures are love ops. Make a difference. They point to Jesus, but ultimately, we're going to have to speak it. God says he can turn mourning into dancing. Come on to him. God says he knows the plans he has for you to prosper, to give you hope. God says that bitterness will consume you. We say it. Now, again, there's a posture we carry, and it's a posture of love. Why? Because our ultimate desire is to see freedom. Our ultimate desire is to see fullness. Our ultimate desire is to see the kingdom of darkness torn to shreds. So our posture is love, but we must Speak, And when we speak what God says, his word becomes like a sword, slicing away whatever might be keeping people from life. Again, the world is not changed by the words in a book, but by the ones we speak dynamically into that situation. How will Kosciuszko believe unless they hear? And how will they hear unless we speak? Come, all you who are weary. He offers rest. And let me say a few things before we wrap. I think, again, I trust my posture is more love than it is irritation. Um, But please hear. Speak God's word. Not your opinions. Please, the kingdom of darkness doesn't care about your opinion. Speak his word. That is a destructive force. Hell is not pushed back by your opinion. Chains of bondage are not shattered by your opinion. Lives are not transformed by your opinion. Your kids are not changed by your opinion. Speak what God says about them to them. This country is not going to be healed because a bunch of us shared our opinions. Now, again, I'm not opposing and saying don't post your op-ed on Facebook. You can. I'm just saying if your hope is to see heaven come down and make itself at home on earth in that situation, rhema the word of God, not your opinion. Speak his words. Otherwise, I may have a sword. I may even believe the sword is sharp, but darkness is only sliced. When I swing that sucker by speaking his words. And I've just wrestled through this. Lord, have I? Yeah. I have yelled a bunch of things to my kids over the years. But have I spoken his word over my home, over my family? Even over their failures, have I spoken what he says about them? And have I spoken the hope and forgiveness he offers to my kids? Or have I just spoken, you broke the rules, go to your room? Their worlds will not be changed by that. Now again, I have a responsibility to do what God says in those situations. But I want my kids to hear what God speaks in a dynamic way in a rhema type of way. Um, Let me say this too. You may not know much 
of the word of God. In fact, you may know one verse. Um, maybe you know a hundred. Speak what you know. Speak what you, you may know three things that God has said. Those three things, the gates of hell cannot stand up against. Speak what you know. Do not say, well, I would speak, but I don't know much. I don't have to know much. Your sword might look like a ghetto toothpick, but that's all it takes to take out a couple of demons, at least in the world around you. Speak what you know. Now, don't be content to only know a little. You want to learn more of God's logos so the spirit has more with which to rhema into the situation in the world around you. But speak what you know, even if it's just a little bit. My first job ever was um, as a paper boy, and uh, I would uh, walk um, about a two-mile route a few times a week and deliver newspapers and a few magazines to, to homes of people who had kind of subscribed to the paper and maybe subscribed to um, a magazine. So I'd kind of pull up, you know, in my little radio flyer cart, um, walk up to the door, ring the bell, hello, Mrs. Johnson, how are you? You know, how's Mr. J? You know, here's your paper. Um, here's your weird magazine that I, I don't um, quite understand. And uh, the most awesome of customers would give me a tip. Um, and the problem, though, for like a 14-year-old kid is eventually I learned, like, who are the tipping customers? And uh, who are the shady, good-for-nothing, tip-skimping customers? And then I'll start to treat them um, accordingly, um, unfortunately. And so I'll just start going by some of those shady homes, just kind of do a walk-by and just haul their stuff into the front yard, you know, challenging my accuracy skills. I bet you I can get this paper into that dog kennel right there from, oh, maybe through the crack in the window. Nope. That didn't work. Not a good idea. You know, throw the paper at the bottom of the stairs because, you know, 90-year-old women need their exercise too as far as I was concerned. So um, I just got really reckless and I may or may not have um, gotten a few warnings at um, work. Um, now, you know what was funny about that? <laughs> it didn't matter how cranky I was. It didn't matter how ghetto my delivery skills were. Um, it didn't matter if like, I threw the thing or delivered it with love and TLC. At the end of the day, guess what? Those people still got the news. The same news. And I think that is something so key for us to, to get a sense of about the rhema of God. I may not be the most skilled. I may even go to work cranky sometimes. And I may not be the ideal communicator in the world. But it is the word of God. It is the sword of the spirit. And if I just speak what I know to that situation. People are going to get the light and get the life. Now, I may not see the results immediately. I may not like the response immediately. In fact, the reality is we will experience some less than positive responses when we speak the word of God. But my job is not the response. My job is not the results. My job is to simply speak what God says. And let it do the work because the word of God is sharp. It will expose sin. It will cut down pride. Now, I think I have to also say this. Please, don't let it be because you are sharp. 
It should be because the word is sharp. I carry it with love. So please don't, you know, mimic my paperboy skills. It's the word of God that is sharp. And the confidence I have is God says, my rhema will never return to me void. Every single time you speak it into that situation, it will accomplish exactly what I logos it to accomplish. You may not see it because it may not happen then. You may feel like everything we have spoken over our kids hasn't happened yet. They're still mouthing off. Listen, parent, oaks of righteousness take time. But the word of God is still doing its work. It is still pushing back the kingdom of darkness. You may never see the effects on that person at work that you shared what God said to. All you might get is the pushback. But you've got to trust the confidence that the gates of hell will not stand up. You've got to trust the word of God will never return to him without doing exactly what he called it to do. Our job is to speak it, to deliver it, and trust God will bring about his best. When we wear the helmet of salvation by declaring daily, I am saved because of Jesus. And when we start to take up the sword of the spirit that speaks what God speaks about that situation, this county will be changed, starting in our homes and in our dorm rooms and at our schools, in our workplaces. Because the church is now truly starting to move forward in the most beautiful ways possible. So, Spirit of the living God, we pray. Even as you encourage us in all situations, with all kinds of requests. Because we want to get better at even knowing the moments in which you want us to speak the words. But help us to be bold. Because what's the worst thing that can happen to us? And then please, please, please give us the wisdom to know when to rhema, when to speak your words. Lord, help us to truly believe that bondage and chains and, and uh, Lord, just the enemy's strongholds on people and addiction and Lord, those who are caught um, in life of sin apart from you, that will be broken. They will be set free by your words. And so help us, Lord, to offer the, the world the best that we have. And it's what you have to say through us. May our county be different, even as you release us now, with your blessing. In Jesus' name. Amen.